0: Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. I hate to be the bearer of of bad news, but we are all in reality, right? And we understand the fight that we're in and what we should expect what we should expect to see. I don't think the school system's going to roll back, uh, you know, the whole uh, bathroom thing or transgender thing. I don't think they're, they're going to ever put back the Ten Commandments and prayer and Bible in the schools and whatnot, okay? So we know that. And um, unfortunately, what we have to prepare for coming ahead of us as believers is a movement, a global movement towards tyranny, Okay? and it's going to be in all sectors of society um, whether that's tyranny of of energy tyranny of healthcare uh tyranny uh, uh, you know tyranny of the economy and all kinds of different things you're going to see it everywhere tyranny in the school systems you know pushing the whole wokeness and other things and agenda items that they're pushing and It's a movement towards what the Bible predicts, that we're ultimately moving towards an ultimate authoritarian tyrant that's going to rule the world. And I think that's what I got from my own interview last night and thinking about even today's message is this is something you have to prepare for. Um, It's not going away. Uh, The power-hungry elites keep pushing the agenda, and nothing's stopping them, really. Nothing's stopping them. But here's the thing that comes down to our level. How can you and I resist the movement towards tyranny on a personal level? How do you and I fight this on a spiritual level? How do you and I deal with more and more coming our way? Well, what the Bible wants you to do It doesn't want you to try to control these types of things per se. It wants you to stand. It wants you to fight. It wants you to give the truth. But our job is not to control the things that are out of our control. That's God's business. And if he's allowing the world to head in this direction, then there's nothing you and I can do about that. But I can make a difference in my circle of influence. And that's what you have to keep in mind. That I can spot tyranny, show people that they're, they're succumbing to it, and hopefully, one by one, set them free, not only by the truth, but by the gospel of the Lord. And, and so that means that we just don't surrender to the tyranny. It means you have to resist the tyranny with truth. You have to resist the tyranny as much as you can because you're accountable for resisting. If you see it, then that means you must resist. Because God created us as free will creatures made in his image. And no, it is, no it, it, it is, there is no right of an individual to be able to control another human being. Okay, that's, that's not allowed because of we're, us being made as free will creatures. Therefore, it's anathema. For somebody to want to control us, whether that's healthcare, economics, or you're driving your car, because like I talked last night with Tom, what's coming is they're going to limit your restrictions on how much you can drive. The and I'll talk about this today. Um, they're proposing a 15-minute city. Now they're already doing this in uh, Oxfordshire. And I, I talked to Ken Luff in England, and he told me that, Brandon, they're not letting us uh, leave our homes other than uh, and drive a certain distance more than 100 times per year, okay? If you go past 100 times, then you get fined about $100 in fines. But here's the thing. Who in their right mind would accept that, right? I mean, who who would go for that, that these leftist elites in oxford decided that we're going to shut down the community and we're going only going to allow you to go a hundred times i mean that's basically two times a week basically that you can go to the store and do your things but what ken luff told me he says brandon it wasn't that it was necessarily forced on anybody it was voted for by the people that's the problem that's the problem. In an effort to save the planet. You, know, the, the, they say, you, you see the problem here with tyranny. If you create a catastrophe, you could create a crisis, you can get buy-in from people thinking they're going to do something good and in essence enslave themselves thinking they're doing something good. That's what I want you to see. That's what's coming in every sector of society. They're fooling people and deceiving people into thinking they're doing something good. Giving a right to a particular group. And saying that this group has been, you know, uh, you know... uh, racism has come upon them, or whatever, homophobic, um, xenophobic, you name it. They're having all this persecution, so therefore we must give more positive rights. So some of our universities and colleges now have actually practiced segregation now. There's places where white people can't go into certain universities, and there's signs on there, on the university, that only allows colored people yeah, it's true. That's, that's because they're persecuted, so they need more rights. And by when you give positive rights to people, you take away rights of others. So the white kids in the universities can't go in there anymore. Now think about this. As another example of tyranny. They're telling us now that We talk about January having New Year's resolutions that being fit is white supremacy. Kid you not. I kid you not. And and that being fit has to do with white supremacy. And that watching your diet has to do with white supremacy. So in essence, they're pushing a movement towards morbid obesity... And that if you go against morbid obesity, um, then you're a racist um, or you're body shaming people. So when, did, when in our medical industry did we say being morbidly obese is okay? When did we do that? Because now it, it, that's the norm. And, that it, and for a doctor to tell someone you need to exercise and you need to lose weight, and get in shape, and eat right, is racist now. What, what's happening? That's tyranny of the mob. That's tyranny, guys. That you can't say certain things. That's tyranny of free speech. It's all happening. So imagine in these, this if this comes to America. By the way, like I said, they're already practicing it. Um, you, would, you would imagine where you live, and that you could only go 15 minutes from either direction where you live. You, you have to grocery shop there. You have to do your athletics or whatever. You're exercising there. Uh, you can't ride your bike, you know, 30 miles away. Uh, you have to do your exercising in this area. Uh, wherever you take your kids, it has to be in this area. And wherever you work has to be in this area. Oh, well, wait a second. What if people work far away past 15 minutes? Usually people have a commute. That's true. They're going to either tell you, you either move to where you work or you find a job in your location. I'm not kidding. This stuff is already in the mind of the World Economic Forum. This is where I'm getting this from. This is on the World Economic Forum website. And I'm telling you, they're launching it already And what you're virtually going to see is the introduction of climate change lockdowns. And the lockdown doesn't mean you have to stay in your house. It just means you have to stay in a 15-minute radius. Now, in some other countries, they're practicing a 20-minute radius. Okay? So they extend it. Again, if that's the movement, what do you think Gavin Newsom will do? You already know. This is serious business. And again, uh, the guy in Oxford that I was talking to, I mean, you can see the articles now, um, but the thing is, they voted for it. They thought this was a great idea, but they don't know they're succumbing to tyranny. And that's where I want to go, where we're in the, the, um, in the passage now in Daniel chapter 11. It's another passage about the Antichrist. There's a, a passage about a lot of things. But what I wanted you to get out of this is why does the Lord allow the Antichrist to rule? Why does he? Because what you're going to find out is that in most dictatorships, most tyranny, the tyrannical ruler couldn't have ruled without the mob. And that's the problem. Hitler played off of the German people. Now he was crazy to begin with, satanically inspired, no doubt about that. But he couldn't have gotten away with it, and they've studied this, had it not been for the immoral mob in Germany. And I I heard a recent lecture about this, about how the German people played into Hitler's ideas. Now, what Hitler did, um, apparently, is he would give speeches. And he spoke off the cuff a lot of times. But what he did is he took in information of how the mob reacted to his speeches. So he would say something, and if he didn't get a reaction from the people, he wouldn't go back to it. But if he said this... And he got a reaction to it, then he kept going. And then he would say another thing, and then the mob would react to it. And anything the mob reacted to, he put it all in his speeches. To the point that his speeches reflected the mentality of the German mob in front of him. So it wasn't just simply Hitler doing the Holocaust. It was the mob in Germany that provoked it and that allowed him to do things like that. And that's what I'm seeing right now in the United States. I'm seeing around the world. How do, in the world did we get somebody in our White House as incompetent as Joe Biden? Okay? And I, don't, I mean, if Joe Biden's Republican, I'd say the same thing. I really don't care. It's on Uniparty at this point. How in the world does anyone vote for Mitch McConnell? How does anyone vote for these these rhinos and things of that nature? Who supports them? Who votes for them? That means that the people who voted for them are responsible for collective guilt. Just like the German people have collective guilt for the Holocaust. There's, There's a collective guilt in the Bible, by the way. That's why when, when God would punish Israel, he'd punish all the nation because there was a collective guilt. And right now, the collective guilt of America is that most Americans would prefer tyranny. And that's the reality. This is why we're heading in that direction. Most people would rather be taken care of rather than be responsible for their lives. We teach our kids in the schools that, oh, all these problems that you have are your parents. All these problems you have are the racism in our society. All these problems you have is America. All these problems you have is, uh, you know, all these people doing bad things to you. You know what they should teach these kids? They should teach the kids, you're your biggest problem. And until you figure that out, you won't take responsibility for your life. And so, in essence, they have groomed kids to accept tyranny. And and, and, in the the guise of, we'll take care of you. We'll right all the wrongs in your life. Yes, all these people are bad to you and they persecuted you. Well, we'll give you more rights and we'll do this for you. They have set up the, the younger generations to be controlled through tyranny and not be responsible. And so what you see in America, is not just simply uh, uh, you know, the bad leadership that we have, across the board, Republican and Democrat, across the board, and there are exceptions, no doubt about that. But as an example, the politics always reflects the people. That's the problem. And here's what you and I have to realize. We cannot be deceived by this, in joining up with this. We have to resist. We have to say no. We have to fight with truth, no matter what the cost. Because I'm seeing people, even in the church, submit to tyranny. Their churches are submitting to wokeism. Their churches are submitting to you know the new trends. Why are, why are 54% of churches now affirming gay marriage? Why? Why did, why did 40% of the churches not celebrate Christmas? Why? Because they're buying into all of this. It's a tyrannical movement. And so today, I want to take you through, again, what Scripture says about the Antichrist, but I want to apply it to help us understand why the Antichrist is allowed to rule. That's a fundamental question we all have to realize. Here's the thing. Tyranny exists because a certain portion of society actually wants it. Now, I know you don't want it, and I don't want it, but the majority do, even though they don't know it. But they do. And it comes down to them not having a biblical world view. Of not seeing things correctly. <clears throat> Let me get to the passage. Okay, so here's, here's the video I want to show you. This is happening in Paris. A 15 minute city. Welcome to your new prison. That's what this is. And people say... They want it. Let's go to the scriptures. Let's unpack it and apply it. This is chapter 11 of Daniel. Also in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up and confirmed and strengthened him. So there's a little backtracking here that's going on in, in, uh, uh, in Daniel chapter 11. Darius the Mede uh, is going backwards in, in history. And what he's saying, it, this, the angel is speaking to Daniel in this context Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 11 is a continuation of Daniel chapter 10 where the angel is speaking to Daniel and unveiling, unveil, uh, unveiling um, what's going to happen in the end, uh, not only uh, short-term but long-term as well. And so he's saying, uh, in the year of Darius, I even stood up, confirmed him and strengthened him. Now what is the, the big deal? Um, well, the angel said, I strengthened him. I'm the one who did it. I'm the one who gave him the impetus to do this and basically um Darius the Mede took over from Babylon okay so the angels are saying that we were involved in this we were able to influence this whole situation and the other thing that happened the other way it influenced Darius the Mede too um, and, and a lot of commentators will mention this is when Daniel went into the lion's den that this event influenced Darius the Mede so much after seeing this that again of course he promoted Daniel to be one of the highest in the kingdom but what was this about it was a spiritual warfare of how to influence Darius the Mede and in this case the good angels won and that's what it's being it's being said and told here now here's the thing if you try to apply this today who is winning in the influence? Now, we understand God's all powerful, but when he allows something to happen, then he will allow the influence from the demonic realm, from the angelic realm, to affect the world leaders like they did Darius. In this case, the influence of the good angels pushed Darius the Mede in a certain direction to be favorable to the Jews. That's how the, the spiritual war was won in this case. Now we're seeing a spiritual war and we're seeing it go the opposite way and we understand it because of prophecy that it must go this way. So God is allowing it. Anyway, that was the angelic conflict that happened there. And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia and a fourth uh, shall be far richer than them all. By his strength through his riches, he shall stir up all the all against the realm of Greece. Greece. Now, again, this is more near-fulfillment prophecies basically telling you that this is what's going to happen in Persia. And what you're really going to have happen in history, exactly as Daniel mentions, you'll have these four different kings ending up with Xerxes at the bottom. Xerxes should be familiar to you because that's the king that was in charge in Esther's day that Esther dealt with, right? Okay, so that's what actually is predicted in the near future. And the, the near future predicts this, this changeover from Persia to Greece. And, and it's all there in Daniel chapter 11 in detail. And basically what you're going to have is a Persian invasion of Greece, and Greece will respond later on with a retaliation, and that's through Alexander the Great. We've talked about this. And so, um, again, Xerxes was... The, uh, the, the king in uh, Esther's day, we think that the invasion of Greece happened somewhere, I think, Esther two, between Esther one and two or two and three, somewhere in that neighborhood um, at that time. And, and obviously, that sparked the resentment in Greece to eventually take over the Persian empire. Anyway, it goes on. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do accordingly, according to his will. And when he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided to four winds of heaven. This is talking about Alexander the Great's kingdom. But not among his posterity, nor according to his dominion, which, which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be uprooted even for others beside thee. So basically we already, we've tracked this down, but again the angels is repeating this again. So, what happened with Alexander the Great when he died? His kingdom broke into his four generals Seleucus, Ptolemy, Lysimachus, and Cassander. And basically, they ruled the area like this. And that's how the kingdom was divided after Alexander the Great, all the way up until the time of Rome. Okay? Now, I'm not going to go into detail in this section of Daniel because I could literally spend probably two sermons on it just going through the history. The problem is, it gets very minutia. And so what I did is outline it for you. This is what Daniel predicts. Prophecies of Persia, Greece, Egypt, and Syria. And then he goes into detail about the fights between these different Ptolemies and Seleucid kings that are going on in Israel as it relates to Israel. Then he goes into a prophecy concerning Antiochus Epiphanes, which we've already studied, who is a type of Antichrist. And, we, and, and by the way, I put this last part of chapter 11, 21 through 35, in a previous sermon. In Daniel chapter 8, uh, I inserted that, that part in there. But this is all that's predicted. Okay? Now, what I want to focus in on the last section, uh, the prophecies concerning the end times, 1136 through 12.3. But when you look at these passages what you what strikes you is that there are 135 prophecies in daniel 11 and they're so detailed that the critics said that this was written after the fact because they're so detailed and that's where a lot of people criticize daniel for they said there's no way anyone could have predicted the details so much like this and so but here's you know and so the, the 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 reaction to that is this well God is an eternal being, he's omniscient, of course he knows the future. If God's an eternal being and knows the future, why is it out of the realm that he can predict in detail what will happen? That's the nature of God. And so the problem is with the skeptics is they're anti-supernatural. They don't think there's a being that's all-knowing or eternal that can predict the future. And so that's why they dismissed it. But it's totally logical to believe that an all-powerful being can predict the future. Of course he can. And as, as you and I understand, that's the nature of prophecy. But that's how, that's how detailed it is. Anyway, what you have to understand about what, you, what, but this, what you're seeing in near and far fulfillment of prophecy is what, what God wants you to understand about the world. Prophecy allows you to understand how things are going, how things are moving, where is it going, the the trajectory, the projection of things for us, and how God says it's going to go. That's what he wants you to know. God is not expecting you and I to control the movement, because the movement is too big. I can't control the movement of the world towards globalism. I can't. I can resist it, I can speak the truth, but if God is allowing it to happen, it's gonna happen. And there's nothing I can do about that. If, he, if, if this is truly the end of America, as we, as we have known it, then I don't, I don't know how to stop that, if God is allowing that. I can resist, I can fight, and I will, against the tyranny, But if God's allowing it, he's allowing it. I can't kick against the goat. But what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to understand why it's happening. And that's what prophecy does. It teaches me the why. And why is it important for the why? So that I can explain it to other people and use that as a springboard to give them the truth and perhaps get them saved. That's the reason for it. But here's the thing you have to watch out for. You have to watch out for resentment. All these prophecies back here, look at that. All these prophecies. When Israel looked at them, that could cause a lot of bitterness and resentment because it's basically telling Israel, your world is not going to be hunky-dory in the next few hundred years. You're going to see war. You're going to see all kinds of crazy stuff happening in, in the life of your country and I want to warn you about it. The tendency is to take these prophecies about the future and become bitter and resentful towards what's happening. And I can tell you right now, if you allow bitterness and resentment to start welling up in your heart about what's going on in our country, you're gonna be very close to blending justice with revenge and you have to be very very careful because you will rail against the evil that's coming against our in our world and you have every right to to rail against it but be very careful that you don't cross the line into resentment because resentment is what caused the nazi holocaust Resentment is what caused all the dictators in the world. You had a mob resentment, a collective resentment in the country. And that collective resentment is what brought them Hitler. Because he would be the one to right the wrongs. He would be the one to solve the injustices against the German people. And then they would call out for a scapegoat. Who can we blame for this? And then they targeted the Jews, and they targeted the gypsies, and they targeted everyone else. What is happening is something you must control. The amount of evil is beyond what I've ever imagined we would see. And if you're not careful, you will slip into resentment and bitterness because your life is not going to go the way you wanted it to, and you will see the enemy right in front of you. We have people that are dying, dropping dead right in front of us in our families, having blood clots, myocarditis, because they pushed an experimental drug on people. Don't, if your family member dies like mine has, my stepfather died of it last year, you can get a lot of resentment towards anyone who pushed the vaccine. And I got, I'm going to tell you, you better be careful about that. It will push you over the edge. Because when your family member dies right in front of you, you want some justice for that. You want justice because of the doctors. You want justice because of the nurses. You want justice for the hospital. You want justice for Anthony Fauci. Right? And that's true. But don't let it cross the line into resentment and revenge. That's what created Nazism. And that's what's now going to create the territory and the environment for the Antichrist is the resentment. Why do you thinking they're, they're allowing all the criminals to go? Why? We have criminals all over. And now we have criminal activity everywhere, everywhere. Have you not seen going into CVCS uh, or whatever it is and Walgreens and all these other places, they have locked, acrylic locks on all the, the items in the store. How many of you have ever been in these stores and people just walk out with stuff, right? What is that? It's lawlessness It's criminal activity and they want that, why? Because then they, 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 people will resent it. People will take matters into their own hands and they will cry out, this criminal activity needs to stop. And they will come up with solution that imprisons you instead of the criminal, to stop crime. Be careful, be careful, because that criminal activity could push you into revenge, and then you will call out for a strong man to stop it, and that strong man will put you in jail. That's how it works. So, what we're gonna now enter into is the part of the Antichrist, okay? So basically what you're going to see is the Antichrist declares war on 10 kings. This is a major war in Daniel chapter 11. And what we all understand from already studying Daniel is that there will be a global government. That global government will be broken up into 10 league confederations. And then the Antichrist will rise out of that 10 league confederation as an 11th horn, right? We've already talked about, they've already designed our world into 10 Regions already, it's on the it's on the books, so to speak. Um, the Club of Rome did this a long time ago, but they now, you know, the UN, World Economic Forum, they all have it mapped out. America will be part of a North American region, including Canada and Mexico. I heard Laura Lo- Logan a while back. Um, and she had some insider information from the globalist elites that meet at these Davos meetings and they meet at these, these COP27 meetings. And what comes out of the globalist elites is the reason we're having unvetted illegal immigration is to collapse our system so that we cannot support it. And it's going to bankrupt us and it will cause us to go into a regional government in order to handle illegal immigration, which includes Mexico and Canada. That's the purpose of illegal immigration right now. It's not just simply for votes for Democrats. It's to collapse the American system so we have to go to a regional government. That's the start of it, guys. So anyway, it goes on. And the ten horns that were on its head, another horn which came up, before which three fell. So he takes out three kingdoms, three regional governments, namely... That horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. Obviously the Antichrist, right? The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. Then this is happens at the midpoint of the tribulation, and the Antichrist rises to power and takes three horns out, and the rest of them submit to him, obviously. Then it goes on to, uh, to explain actually the war in how the antichrist does this how does he take three kings out well daniel mentions this in verse 40 it says at that time of the end the king of the south shall attack him and the king of the north shall come against him like like a whirlwind with chariots horsemen and many ships and he shall enter the countries overwhelm them, and pass through so what ends up happening is the antichrist locates himself in israel okay And while he's there, there's a pincer move that happens on him. Uh, The king of the north, whoever that might be at that time, and the king of the south, probably who's controlling Africa. Remember, there will be 10 kings. They eventually attack him. So he doesn't have full support of the entire world. There's people that don't align with him. And then furthermore, there's the kings of the east that attack him as well in this battle. And what they're trying to do is a pincer move. And they're, they're try, trying to entrap him, but he fights against them and he overwhelms them. Um, verse 41 mentions that he shall also enter the glorious land. That means Israel, he comes into the land. And really, Revelation 16 talks about him coming in the Jezreel Valley. That's where Antichrist will encamp his army there, okay? And he shall plant tents of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Uh, in other words, Jerusalem. So his armies are in the Jezreel Valley and then he plants himself in Jerusalem, his tent, um, so to speak, his his campground, where he camps out there in Israel when this is all going down. And this is why this pincer move is happening as well. Furthermore, um, just to show you what the Jezreel Valley looks like, this is the valley and it's massive. This is where Napoleon said this would be a great place to stage a war. Um, and other people have seen this. A lot of battles were fought in the Jezreel Valley. As you can see it on the map, it's just a, a flat valley in the middle of Israel. And this is a view of, of um, the valley uh, from Megiddo, um, which is that's where we get the word Armageddon from. The Har Megiddo uh, is the Valley of Armageddon. And anyway, this is where the Antichrist will be staging his, his wars. And this is where he's going to be fighting against the king of the north, the king of the south, and the king of the east. Anyway, verse 41 says, And many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Amnon. Now here's the interesting thing. He's going to win over the king of the north, king of the south, king of the, and the east, and then the rest of them will submit to him. But... This area is not controlled by him. He doesn't get control. And it's right next to him. There's Ammon, Moab, and Edom. What is that modern day uh, country? That's Jordan. For some reason, he controls the entire world, but he can't control Jordan. Isn't that weird? Unless you understand the spiritual significance of it, Because God has prepared a place for the Jews to hide from him. And so therefore, God has sectioned that off to where that is the only spot in the world that he doesn't control. And that's in order to preserve the Jews. And that's the spiritual answer to it. That's why he can't control it. Furthermore, he shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt, Also the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. So in this battle, this midpoint of this battle, he defeats the the armies of the north, and he goes and takes the, the whole southern area. So the king of the south, basically, is the king who controls all of Africa, basically. So he assumes that region as well. And he would assume anything north of him as well, and the east. The east, as far as not India and not China, but as far as the east is concerned, we're talking about the Fertile Crescent, the Babylonian region. He will control that area as well that he takes over. Okay, the rest shall follow at his heels, and the rest just obey him because he's too overpowering. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. And again, he's attacked not only by the north, but he's attacked by the east. But something happens in the east that rattles his cage. So he's attacked by the king of the east, but something happens to his headquarters. His headquarters will be in Babylon. That's where he will make his mark. That's where his kingdom will will flourish from. Not New York, not London, not Paris, but back where the original Tower of Babel was built. That's where his headquarters will be. But something alerts him that something's not right. Well, here's what happens. This is Revelation 14, 8. And another angel followed saying Babylon is fallen is fallen the great city because she has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication so his headquarters falls while he's in Israel his headquarter falls and that's what disturbs him someone whether it's the king of the east or something has attacked his capital city and destroyed it now look at Jeremiah 59 we get a clue here of how it's destroyed for behold, I will raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country. Remember, the, the, the rumor is from the east and the north. Okay? And that's a reference to Isaiah 13.3. Uh, 13, and they shall array themselves against her. From there she shall be captured. Their arrows shall be like those of an expert warrior. None shall return in vain. Now this is Amazing. This is prophetically coming from Jeremiah, saying that the arrows that come from this nation that destroys Babylon, they're like an expert warrior. Well, let's break that down in the Hebrew. It's Ech which which means mighty, and ma-sakal, Sakal, uh, with wisdom, it's wise. So, what's mighty and what's wise? Is it the nation? Is it the king? No. What is wise and what is mighty is their arrows. Their arrows are wise, their arrows are powerful. Now, you can understand if you put this in modern day warfare, what we're dealing with. A powerful arrow, they would have no term for a bomb. If they saw into the future, this would be what they saw. That's the only thing, the language they could use is that's an arrow, but there's something more powerful in it. And the arrow has intelligence and wisdom within it. You see what the Hebrew's hinting at? It's hinting at a smart bomb. It's that the arrow itself has intelligence. And that's the best way Jeremiah could explain it that's how his capital is destroyed and as you look in revelation 18 the capital is destroyed in one hour how can something be destroyed in one hour bombs that's it that's the answer and the only way you could understand it is to live in this modern day and age isn't that amazing so what he what happens here jeremiah points this out the king of babylon has heard the report about them and his hands grow feeble Anguish has taken hold of him, pangs as a woman in in childbirth, because of this destruction of his capital. So he's going to go into fury at this point in time and take it out on Israel. Therefore, he shall go out with great fury and destroy and annihilate many. Now, who are the many here? The many refer to Israel, okay, in this context. And so after his capital is destroyed, that's when he goes on a tear and a rampage to destroy all of Israel. Because he must prevent the second coming. And and like I've mentioned before, the second coming is predicated on the Jews' acceptance of the Messiah. So in in his mind, wipe out every Jew and you can't have the second coming. That's why he does this. Zechariah 13 mentions the destruction that he causes. And it shall come to pass in the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. So two-thirds of Israel will be wiped out by him, destroyed, slaughtered. If you thought the Holocaust was bad, you have no idea what the Antichrist will do to Israel in the future. Another Holocaust at a greater level is going to happen to them. And Jesus even mentions this in the Olivet Discourse. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect sake, and who is the elect? It's Israel, the remnant of Israel. Those days shall be shortened. Basically, Messiah is saying to the disciples, if I allow this to continue past a certain point, everybody in Israel will be killed. Everybody. But I'm going to shorten this. And, the, and the, the, what we know of the shortening is it only lasts three and a half years. Nothing past it. And we get that from Daniel and we get that from John in the book of Revelation. So God puts a limit on it. <clears throat> and, and we talked about Jordan. Uh, this is Petra. And this is where the one third will go. We've talked about this before. They go to Petra and they hide in Petra until the second coming, right? But look what it says here in verse 45. Yet he shall come to his end and no one will help him. He actually, the Antichrist, dies in this war. He dies. Now, this is amazing. He dies. He receives a mortal head wound. And I saw one of the heads as if it had been mortally wounded, Revelation 13. And in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Now, why do I put Revelation 5 with Revelation 13? Because it says, as if it had been mortally wounded. People will take that in the English and say, oh, it's as, as if he died. Oh, no, no, you understand, that's an idiom. And the same idiom is used in Revelation 5 for the Messiah. In the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Now, let me ask you the simple theological question. Did Jesus die? Yes, we know he had to die. But the idiom is being used on him as well, as if he had been slain. And so we know he's been slain, so we understand the idiom to mean death. And resurrection that's what the idiom means but the idiom then is used by John in Revelation 13 to say I saw one of its heads as if it had been mortally wounded as if it was dead but is now alive again so the Antichrist dies and then has a counterfeit resurrection now look at this Revelation 13 and his deadly wound was healed this is talking about the resurrection, the counterfeit resurrection of the Antichrist. 17.8, uh, the beast that you saw was and is not, it, the is not as he died, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. Now, notice I, 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 I uh, pointed out the Greek in this, which is the abusos in Greek, abusos. The abusos is a different location than where human beings go. Human beings go to the pit. The abuso is called the bottomless pit. It's different. The abuso is only where um, demons or fallen angels are temporarily confined. Okay, it's not Tartarus. Carverus is Genesis 6 angels permanently confined until the great white throne judgment but the pit the bottomless pit is only where fallen angels and demons are temporarily uh, put there for a period of time and yet after he dies he ascends out of this place why would he be sent there in the first place why didn't he get sent to the pit where unregenerate humans go Hmm. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names aren't written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Then they will see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Now he's alive. There's a counterfeit resurrection. He counterfeits the resurrection of Jesus. Now, again, I don't know the answer to how this is accomplished. I, I, I have no idea how the, the, Satan is able to do something like this. So whether that, that God allows him the power to do this or it's some type of counterfeit that we just don't understand spiritually, I don't know. I really don't have an answer. All I know is it is a counterfeit to the real resurrection. And that's all I'm about to say because any other thing on my part is just pure speculation. But he does it, and the whole world believes it. And his deadly wound was healed, and the beast that you saw and is not will ascend out of the bottomless pit. Um, and, and here's, here's where the compartments are in the underworld. You have paradise, which is now empty. That's Abraham's bosom. You have hell. We call it hell, but really that's the pit. And then you have Tartarus where the fallen angels are. And then you have the abyss. The abyss is temporarily confined. That's where he goes. That's where he ascends back up after he dies. I think there's a hint there. I think there's a hint to his nature The Antichrist's nature, right? It comes where fallen angels come from. Hmm. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon and gave authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So after the counterfeit resurrection, that's it. He's worshiped by this world. Now here's where we got to stop and understand something prophetically. Why would people who don't want to worship God, worship another person. Why would they do that? The people today refuse to acknowledge that there's a God. In fact, they make him up. They they create Santa Claus gods. But yet in the future, they have no problem bowing a knee to this one individual who's the hallmark of evil and worshiping him. Why is that? What explains this? Because this person, the Antichrist, will put everybody into slavery. He will control every facet of their life. Why would they do that? When, when God is asking people to follow him, and he says his burden is light, he still gives you the freedom whether you obey him or not. He doesn't force servitude on you. It's voluntarily servitude to him. And we voluntarily submit to him, but we also have a free will and we can rebel, can't we? But you can't rebel against the Antichrist. Otherwise you're dead. What you must ask yourself is why would a person reject God who gives them free will and accept a false God who enslaves them? why the answer to that answers today why we're losing america that's the answer i'll get to that in just a bit so why does god allow the antichrist because people want him instead of god that's why and that's a hard pill to swallow understand this about the antichrist he is the embodiment of sinful humanity He is the sum total, the sum total of what sinful man produces. This is what we produce. We produce a one world government and then we produce a antichrist. That's what sinful humanity can produce. That's what they produced at the Tower of Babel, didn't they? One leader over everybody and everyone's enslaved. He is also the epitome of the collective guilt of all unbelievers. He's the epitome of it all. Unbelieving man called out the devil to worship for the exchange of power. That's why. A man, so when you think of the Antichrist, he's the embodiment of our culture. You understand what I'm saying here? He embodies everything our culture wants which is opposite of what God wants, right? He's the embodiment of it. He is their masterpiece. He is man's masterpiece of the sin nature. So here's the question then. Why do people succumb to tyranny in their own lives? Why do they follow without questioning? Why do they do what they're told without even looking at facts and data? Why is it? They have resentment. They are nihilistic, and they're bitter concerning the unfairness of life. And if someone can bring justice or revenge to the situation, then they will follow blindly. What are we going to do? We're all going to die of COVID-19. We're all going to die. Someone save me. And Anthony Fauci comes to your rescue. They feel vulnerable and at risk, so anyone providing them protection will be followed. See, we haven't taught our young people in schools how to stand alone for the truth. Cuz I can tell you this, when you stand alone, when you stand for the truth, you're going to stand alone. There's not going to be a lot of people with you. You have to have enough guts to do it. And unfortunately, there's not enough people with any guts or any spine. What I'm noticing is there are a bunch of cowards. They won't stand up. So because they won't stand up, they go to someone else that will stand up for them and right all the wrongs and protect them. And so someone like Anthony Fauci, someone like a politician, or someone like the Antichrist becomes who their go-to is. Three, they adopt a victim mentality which relieves them of responsibility and the desire to be taken care of. Look, I can tell you that's endemic to the sin nature. The sin nature does not want to be responsible. The sin nature wants to be taken care of. The humans in their sin nature prefer a nanny state. Okay? That's, that's the problem. Humans have a, in the sin nature have a tendency to be always lazy. And so it's easier for someone else to take care of them. And that's what sets up a tyrant. Four, they benefit from the system of the tyranny. The tyrant is actually giving them things that they want. That's what our government does. The government keeps giving more and more stuff out, and they create dependency on them, create laziness, irresponsibility. But the people, why would they vote them out? Because they benefit from these people being in office. See, the Antichrist will give people exactly what they want. That's how he gets their votes. Hitler did the same thing. He gave people what they wanted. You want to kill the Jews? Let's go for it. They look to blame others for their problems instead of taking ownership for what they are responsible for. The tyrant then uses the scapegoat tactic on them. Who's to blame for this? It's the Christians. Because the Christians are so intolerant of my lifestyle. Who's to blame for uh, uh, people wanting our borders locked. It's the Christians, because they're not globalists. You see what I'm saying? We're the scapegoat in our culture. That's what's happening. They're blaming us for everything. And, and then even saying to the point that exercising is, is a, a, a white thing? Are you out of your mind? that now we have to affirm morbid obesity and we can't body shame? What's happening here? We are the scapegoats because everything biblical that we hold to is now being turned on us saying, you're the problem. And what this culture is, they're putting the blame on the wrong person or group. They should be blaming these, these elites They should be blaming Gavin Newsom and Joe Biden. They should be blaming all these Black Lives Matter, Antifa, you name it, transgender. They should be blaming the groomers in our public schools. They should be blaming them for what's happening to people. But instead, the focus has shifted to it's the Christians. It's the Christians. But that's what a tyrant does. And the people buy into this. They're deceived to think that that what the tyrant is pushing is actually their idea. That's what the German people thought. thought That was their idea to do this. People have been convinced that this would be the best thing for them. Seven, they have a desire to control everything because of personal fear. Fear can be manipulated in the person. And that's what tyrants do. And people have not come to reconcile the fear inside of them. We'll have a desire to control everything because they're afraid of the future. They're afraid of what's happening tomorrow. They're afraid. And so in order to get security, they have to have control. And that's what tyrants do. But that's what people who follow tyrants do as well. They don't want their life disrupted. The tyrant promises that life will go on as normal if they just follow them and they're being deceived. You have to, if you're going to avoid tyranny, you have to come to grips with your own personal fears. You have to get that settled. Because if not, they will play on that fear. Look what they did to our populace around the world with the stupid vaccines. They played upon the fears and emotions of people. And they got them to do stuff that's now having huge ramifications health-wise. They're cowards, so they refuse to stand alone. Like I talked about, they only stand with the collective mob. Have you noticed that they'll only say what they want when they're in a mob? They only do their mob tactics when they're in a mob. Why do they put on ski masks? Why? Why do they hide their faces if they're so brave? Show us your faces, Antifa. Let's see who you really are. It's just like the Muslims, when they do jihad, And they cover their faces. Show your faces if you're so brave. Show who you are. But no, they're cowards. They're cowards and they hide in the mobs. Their need for acceptance drives them to support tyranny that forces people to accept their ethics and morality. We all want to be accepted, don't we? We don't want people to not like us. We don't want people to disapprove of our life. But if you're not living a biblical life, then that lifestyle is is disapproved by God. Whatever that lifestyle someone chooses to, 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 to take. We have learned to submit our lives to the lifestyle that God wants us to live, right? That's what we have chosen to do. But when you do not want to accept that, Then you will gravitate to a tyrannical leader that says your lifestyle, even though it's unbiblical, is accepted. And I will be the champion for you to get acceptance for you in this society. That's how it works. And so they gravitate to people that will get them that acceptance. Freedom is too isolating for them, they can't deal with it. Choice is too terrifying for them, it's too stressful. And they claim the freedom, that freedom is selfish. I keep hearing more and more people say, you Christians are selfish because you don't care about other people's health. You're just being selfish. Freedom doesn't allow you to be selfish, they say. Freedom is selfish, they say. That's the new motto. So what do they do? They self-censure, they self-enslave because they love the security that the, pers- the prison provides. That's bottom line, this thing. That's all the factors that go into why someone accepts tyranny. And you can see that happening in our culture. What you and I are to take from this is to realize the ultimate tyrant is coming. There's no doubt about that. And the way is being paid for him right now. And these other pockets of tyranny all around us as we, we speak. We go into 2023... You need to look for this. You need to guard yourself for this. And you need to warn others about when they are bowing a need to tyranny. Now, here's the thing. I know what they're go- you're going to say. Well, they're not going to listen to me. That's okay. That's not your job to convince them. Your job is to tell them and to warn them. You're submitting to tyranny. Don't do this. You're losing your freedoms. They're taking more of it away from you. And if, they, and, and, and if you warn them, then that's all your job is to do is warn them. Perhaps in your warning, they will listen to you, and then you can segue to the gospel and get people on the lifeboat of Jesus as much as possible. But it comes down to you and I. Now let's talk just on a personal level here. The next few years are going to be unlike you've ever seen before. I'm not trying to scare you. I want to prepare you. What they have planned is pretty diabolical. It will definitely limit your freedoms it's not going to kill you per se unless you do their medical things right so i don't want you to worry about that but what i want you to see is they will foist more tyrannical rule on you in every area your kids how far you travel where you can go what you can buy all that kind of stuff with a digital currency Here's the question. How much are you going to tolerate? How much are you going to tolerate to where you say, enough is enough? And I'm not talking about bucking the system. I'm not talking about not submitting to authority. But if it violates Scripture, okay, that's your key. If it violates scripture, I have every right for civil disobedience. Every right. And you must be prepared for that. Because it's going to come to us, each one of us, of whether or not you will self-censor and shut your mouth and go along with the rest of the lemmings following the tyrants. Okay? It's going to come down to that. Now again, I am not saying for civil unrest or revolution or anything like that, but I'm telling you on a personal level, what will you bow a knee to? And and if it, it, again, if it violates Scripture, you need to resist. You need to say no. Because what if they tell you, you know what, like I've mentioned before, they're not going to let you drive on Sundays. What if you live on the other side of town, we're in our new building, and you have a 15-minute community, and you're past your 15 minutes? What are you going to do? What if they tell you, look, one Sunday out of the month, no cars. No cars. How will you go to church? Well, I'll just watch it virtually. Really? That's the choice you're going to make. I'm going to watch it virtually. You see what I'm saying? I'm trying to prepare you not to compromise. Don't give in to this. Don't allow the tyrants to take our rights away. Because that's what they want to do. Because at the end of the day, there's only one person I obey. And that's the Lord. And that's it. And I hope that's the same for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn about this passage about the Antichrist. Diabolical tyranny. Father, we see the pathway beginning set for this in our world, in our lives and we need strength from you we need help we can't do it alone we can't do it without you we need your help but to give us the strength to stand in the face of this to obey you rather than man to do what we're called to do to not shut up to keep speaking the truth in love to to keep doing the great commission all of these things that you have called us to do may we never stop father And I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, they would come to faith in him today, understand he died for their sins on a cross, was buried, rose on the third day, and gives everlasting life to anyone who believes. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.